0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Simone Sanders, senior advisor to Joe Biden's presidential campaign, joins the Washington Post to discuss the civil unrest in Minneapolis, the 2020 election and her new book. Let's listen.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Karen Tumulty, and I'm a columnist here at The Washington Post, and I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon for our conversation with Simone Sanders. Um, we're going to talk about her brand new book, uh, No, You Shut Up, Speaking Truth to Power and Reclaiming America. It's a very quick breezy read, but at the same time, I found that it gave me something to think about on every single page. So Simone, welcome, and we will talk to you about your book, but first, there is a lot of stuff in the news today. And so I wanted to ask you first about your reaction to the events that we've been seeing unfolding in Minneapolis, both the unspeakably tragic death of of George Floyd, and also the, the protests and the violence that, that we have seen unfolding there since then.
0: Well, thank you for having me today, Karen. You know, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, I've known you since my early days on the campaign trail in 2016. I will just say what, what is happening right now is harrowing um it is it is it is heavy i was exhausted last night and i'm exhausted this morning you know we have reached the threshold of over hundred thousand americans who have died from the coronavirus many of those deaths are african-american and latino folks and on top of that we have viral video after viral video of uh, black people being killed that folks are running on loop on national television so it is it is exhausting i'm tired i Uh, was sobbing this morning as I, as we were were working on, as we were having our our staff conversations this morning, because it is truly just exhausting. Uh, But I am actually, let me tell you, I am uh, just, I feel very blessed and privileged to be able to work for a person that I think um, can bring lots of empathy to this moment that we're all collectively experiencing. Someone that can uh, just, just truly put words to, of uh, The pain that many people are feeling and Vice President Biden will be addressing the situation in Minnesota and the killing of George Floyd this afternoon about 1.30. So I will have to hop at 1.15 okay. because I got to go. I got to go to work.
1: Well, so uh, speak on that question, um, you know, th- police matters are matters of local and state of state management, but there's also a role for national leadership. And, you know, we all know the the very famous moment after Martin Luther King's assassination when Bobby Kennedy, a, a presidential candidate, stood on a flatbed truck in Indianapolis and spoke of, of the grief of someone who had lost his own brother uh, to an assassin's bullet and yet appealed for peace. What kind of leadership would you like to see Vice President Biden showing at at this very difficult moment?
0: I think Vice President Biden has continuously led by example on this issue. George Floyd is just a name we are saying this week. I am thinking of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, two additional names we learned over the last couple of weeks um, who also lost their lives and it was not due to to the coronavirus pandemic and so i will just say that vice president biden has consistently spoken out uh, on this issue he has consistently given you know given voice again to the pain that many people are feeling but also articulated that no no black mother and black father no one in america should have to fear if when their child leaves the house and they are walking down the street minding their own business that they will be safe no there is just a, a particular fear that I personally have when I am stopped by the police, even though I've done nothing wrong. And I just find a lot of solace in the fact that Vice President Biden has, uh, you know, taken up the hard task of speaking to those issues and being clear when we have a president who is fanning the flames uh, of, of, of white supremacy and violence. I mean, the president called for Americans to be shot. Vice President Biden tweeted this morning that enough. One word, enough. And then he went on to say that he will not amplify the, the tweet of the president, but that it is wrong, that this needs to, that this, this has to stop. And he is going to speak to this more throughout this afternoon. So I'm going to let Vice President Biden's comments this afternoon speak for themselves. I'm not going to preview them, but but I will say that I am just, I, I really wish Joe Biden were president right now. And I am uh, just very, very pleased and blessed and happy to be working to make him the 46th president of the United States of America, because a Biden administration will literally save lives.
1: Well, so could we talk a little bit about your background? You you yourself are an African American from the Midwest. You grew up in a largely white city, but in a largely black neighborhood. You went to a private Catholic school, which was again, largely white. All your teachers were white. You talked in the book about code switching could you um, explain that concept maybe to people who are not familiar with it, and also explain how it was that you developed the confidence, the self-assurance that it took to speak in your own authentic Simone Sanders voice?
0: Mm, thank you for the question, Karen. Yes, yeah, so code switching, I mean, uh, people of color, black people especially know what code switching is. It is the, the seemingly the need, the need to jump from one uh, you know, reality to another. And sometimes that means you change the, the way your voice sounds because you want to fit in. But women also, I think, also experience code switching. How many of us change our voices in the workplace uh, because we want to sound less threatening and uh, more unassuming? And the reality is is that, um, I think a lot of young people in America, a lot of people in America, period, have experienced and do still today, have feel the need to, in fact, code switch. I like to say now that I don't have a work voice. The way I'm talking to you, Karen, is the way I speak at work. It's how I used to talk when I was a commentator on CNN. It's how I speak to my friends. Uh, it's how I speak to my sister and my mother. And I don't feel the need to code switch or put on uh, something else anymore because I'm extremely comfortable with who I am. And I think that the, the more we become comfortable with who we are, the more that... Uh, space is created for people to be their authentic selves in their everyday spaces and places, even at work, people won't have
1: to code switch. So you also write about how you had, had had experience back in Nebraska, but you were kind of despairing of anybody ever hiring you for a national political job in washington until bernie sanders basically took a chance on you as his national press secretary but you joined the campaign at a moment that is sort of evocative of this one because bernie sanders was struggling with black lives matters protesters at his events and your first challenge was sort of explaining to him how to weave his message of economic justice with their desire for racial justice. Could you talk a little bit about that?
0: So I write about this in the book, and I think a lot of people think that uh, my first day on the campaign trail was actually the day that two women interrupted Senator Sanders at a Medicaid event in Seattle, I do believe. I wasn't at the Medicaid event, but I got off the plane and I I looked at Twitter. And I will just say that um, I had, you know, had the opportunity to, uh, in our interview with the campaign, many folks on the campaign prior to any issues that may have a, that arose with Black Lives Matter activists, and I think that people thought I was hired uh, to to fix the issues. And you know, newsflash, I'm not an actual activist. I just like to say I played one on television for a while. I, I know people like DeRay McKesson, Brittany Packnett Cunningham, uh, Teff Poe, people who have literally put their bodies on the line to the the protesters in Minneapolis right now. Folks that put their bodies on the line to raise awareness to what is happening to, uh, in this case, that we're talking about Black people across this country. That's what Black Lives Matter is all about. Um, so when I originally sat down with Senator Sanders and we had the conversation that I lightly detail in the book, I didn't, I didn't think he was gonna hire me, but I, I took it as my opportunity to talk about uh, how, how race and economics are intertwined issues that have to be addressed simultaneously. And that is something that I made just my own personal mission to do once I did join the campaign and to ensure that um, we were hearing the voices of these young people who that's what disruption is about. He, you know, people wanting to grab attention for something, but also, you know, I'm a, I'm a good operative. I don't want, I don't want people jumping on the stage, interrupting my candidate. So what can we do to address this here? And we created space in that campaign to hear from young people across the country, activists and organizers, uh, who were feeling very stirred up by that moment. And I will say that that is just a, a lesson that I've carried throughout my career and, even now on the, on the Biden campaign, any policy that we put forth, we are checking and previewing these policies with a wide swath and array of people um, from labor, but yes, to the activist community. And it depends, and no, no matter what the policy is, it could be a climate change policy. We need to still check with uh, some people of color. Hello, environmental justice. It could be uh, economics policy. So I am just, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that I did on the Sanders campaign. I'm extremely proud of what we're doing now on uh, Team Joe.
1: And what we already have seen from the president, and we're going to see a lot more of from the Republicans, is using these events in Minneapolis to sort of stoke the fears and, and you know, the potential concern, you know, legitimate concerns of, of white voters, of all voters who see the burning of a police station, the destruction of property. How do you think the Democrats and Vice President Biden should be dealing with again, not only the, the Republican efforts to exploit those fears, but but the, you know, basis of those fears as well. How, how do you weave that in to your message of economic and racial justice?
0: Well, I'm not dodging you, Karen, but Vice President Biden, again, is addressing uh, what's happening in Minneapolis and the horrific killing of George Floyd in about, what time is it? In about, you know, less than 20 minutes here. So I am going to uh, let Vice President Biden's comments speak for themselves.
1: Well, um, you you also write about again your your own experience, just going from zero to sixty so fast. Mm-hmm. in The Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, now you see. Now you're working for Vice President Biden. Uh, we've seen a lot of tension between those two camps of the Democratic Party. How do you go about kind of? reconciling and smoothing over the the sort of um, hard feelings that, that are left over from the primary.
0: You know, I think it's a good question, but I would just would argue, I don't think there's hard feelings or as hard of feelings as people would like to think this time around. You're well, in my Twitter feed. Right? <laughs> you know, Twitter, as we like to say, you know, the Twitterati, Twitter isn't real life, Karen. <laughs> look, I think that you can look at the actions of uh, not only Senator Sanders, but many of his supporters since Senator Sanders uh, has suspended his campaign. And many folks are actively working in concert with our campaign to advance a number of issues because they know that this election is extremely important. What I've seen throughout this primary, and now as we head into a general election, is that Democrats across the board, wherever you sit on the spectrum, they have always understood that Donald Trump is our opponent. Uh, That we are, while many people were jacking for the same job of Democratic nominee, Donald Trump was the only opponent we've had. And you can see the consolidation of the support behind, Senate, uh, behind Vice President Biden as a testament to that. Vice President Biden won the Democratic nomination in the earliest moment and point in time than any Democratic nominee in the last 16 years. That to me says Democrats are not in disarray. The Democrats are actually on one accord and we are working in concert to do everything we can to be successful this November.
1: Well, I have one more question, uh, I know you have to run, but it comes from one of our viewers, Chris McKee in Maryland, and he expresses a concern I've heard a lot of. He said, how confident is the Democratic Party that any illegal attempt to interfere or overturn the election can be prevented? And also that Trump would actually leave if he loses to Biden? Well, I mean,
0: I think the, the question that Chris, I mean, it's a good one. It's a good question that's posed. It's the question about, Will our elections be safe? Uh, We know that the Russians never stopped meddling from 2016. That is something that, you know, intelligence officials and folks on both sides of the aisle have spoken to, you know, many times since 2016 and beyond. I will say that we are focused on making sure that we are protecting access to the ballot box. We just hired a new uh, election protection director. We are partnering with the Democratic National Committee across states. But also, to be clear, this is not a partisan issue, right? The ability to go to the ballot box to participate in democracy is an American thing. It's not a Democrat or Republican or Independent or Green Party voter thing. This is for everybody. So we are fighting to ensure that um, this election this fall is uh, safe for anyone who would like to cast the ballot in person or whether they want to vote by mail or absentee vote and and ensuring that we are just undergirding our democracy you know look Karen we have voted in many times of strife in this country we held elections during the civil war we held elections during uh, both world wars we are now going to hold an election on the you know election is going to happen on the backdrop of a pandemic so it's not a question of whether the election is going to to happen I fully believe it is on its way and it's coming The question is, will it be safe? Will folks in the United States of America in 2020 have to choose between their safety and our public health and their ability to participate in democracy? And we are saying that is not a choice anyone should have to make. And We're doing our best to ensure that that happens.
1: Well, Simone, thank you so much for being with us. And I will let you go here to go do your job and congratulate you on the book, which I have no idea where you found the time to write it. And again, before I
0: got this job, I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know what made me think. I can write a book and then, oh, I'm going to go get a new job. But thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate it. appreciate the folks at the Washington Post. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.